It's been a tough start to the semester for University of Illinois Chancellor Robert Jones. So far, he's dealt with a noose found at a residence hall, swastikas in other buildings, and backlash over his response to a controversial presentation on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, not to mention continued scrutiny over how the campus handles sexual misconduct. In this week's Campus Conversation, recorded on October 17th, Jones talks about those issues, as well as the latest on the U of I's post-Chief Alaniwek plans, college affordability for the middle class, and his own encounter with the Dick Buckus statue. We'll be back after this. Hey, Jim Rosso, News Gazette Media Vice President, reminding you that we have a ton of podcasts available at newsgazette.com every day of the week, from Dave Gentry's morning show to Scott Beatty's News Hour to Brian Barnhart's Penny for Your Thoughts. Head to our website, newsgazette.com, and search for podcasts. We are back with Campus Conversation, and my guest today during Homecoming Week is University of Illinois Chancellor Robert Jones. Chancellor, thanks for being here today. It's my great pleasure. I know it's been a bit of a tough semester so far, but and we'll get to that, but let's start with something fun. Will you be going to Dublin in a couple years for the Illini game? Well, we certainly hope so. We uh, know we had those folks in town uh, a few days ago, and unfortunately with my travel schedule, I was on the East Coast, I think, but uh, uh, apparently there was a very uh, uh, well-received uh, 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 engagement with the folks from Dublin and has generated uh, significant excitement uh, about the opportunity to play there in a couple of years. So we look forward to it. How long did you, when did you find out that that might be a possibility? Uh, Josh briefed me about this. It must have been maybe six, eight months ago oh, okay. that this was a possibility, and I made sure he understood that I fully support it uh, because just the opportunity for our players to, to have that kind of opportunity and exposure to play uh, on an international uh, platform, but it's also pretty good branding and marketing for the University of Illinois and that part of the world as well. So it's uh, it's a great opportunity for all. I know uh, there's a lot of concern right now about the football program. Do you yeah. think Lovey Smith will be here a year from now? Well, you know, the football program has been continually making progress since uh, Coach Smith was hired. And we certainly anticipate that he, you know, he's our coach now. We anticipate that he will be in the months and the years ahead. Okay, so no update there or no conversations No, not, yet? not at all. And this, Josh and I haven't talked about it. So, oh, you haven't? Uh, oh, no, no, I was no, going to no, ask you whether no, you had any conversations. No, no, we haven't spoken about it. We're just trying to win a football game uh, every Saturday that we have a chance to compete. And, uh, and so this coming Saturday at homecoming is no different. Our coaches... Uh, working with the team to get them prepared to defeat Wisconsin. That's that's the that's the thing that we've been focusing on. If a decision time comes, would it be your decision together? Well, ultimately, um, you know, as quietly as it kept, uh, most things are ultimately my decision. Hopefully, in support of the president and the board of trustees. That's how it kind of operates across the board, in terms of our my role as the chief executive officer of the university of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. So did you get to meet Dick Buckus when he was here? No, I did not. As I said, I was traveling. Oh, that was uh, also I was that. traveling uh, last weekend. I was out on the west uh, east coast uh, uh, getting an award uh, that I was really proud to be able to receive. So unfortunately, I missed all of the Foundation Weekend events. But ironically, I was leaving some event. Can't remember what it was last week when I happened by the Smith uh, football uh, practice facility complex, and I saw this giant crane, 
with Dick Bucker's statue dangling from it. So I couldn't help but pull over, uh, parked my car in the parking lot, and went over and talked to the head of the crew that was positioning the statue in place. So I did have uh, have an, un, an unofficial opportunity to participate in the installation for about maybe three or four minutes <laughs> you before I had to go off to my next meeting. Okay. But it was really fortuitous for me to just be happening by at the time that they were just testing everything to see if it was going to fit appropriately and preparing for its permanent installation. And I can tell you um, it was a great moment of pride, I'm sure, uh, for me to be able to see that in passing. But from what I understand, it was a great moment of pride last week, and uh, I definitely will be sending uh, Mr. Buckus a note and uh, congratulating him on this uh, milestone achievement. Okay. As I mentioned, uh, so far this semester, we've had to deal with a number of things, including a new center residence hall, some swastikas found on campus, and other graffiti, and uh, the controversial presentation on the Israel-Palestinian conflict, and sending out the mass email after that on anti-Semitism, which then upset some Palestinian-American students on campus. Are you worried about the climate on campus, and what's happened since Monday when you had to talk to those students about it? Well, we're always uh, greatly concerned about the climate on campus, and we work very, very hard to promote a positive climate, and we're absolutely committed to the core principle that all of our students uh, need to feel welcome at this great university and that they feel welcome regardless of their religious, their race, their ethnicity, their gender, et cetera. And we work very, very hard uh, to assure that kind of climate for our, for our students. Uh, but at the same time, we know that this is a very volatile period in our history. There's hyper-increased uh, sensitivity around a number of issues. And the issues uh, regarding the noose in the elevator was a good example of that, as well as the swastika and the presentation that has really caused great concern on all sides of this issue. Uh, so our focus now is how do you move beyond the incident to positive action that's going to bring about a change in the culture, uh, a change in the sense of belonging. And uh, we can't resolve the Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict. That is not part of what we uh, should be attempting to do. But we do have an obligation to make sure people understand that conversation and discourse, uh, you know, you can put your opinion out there, but it has to be done in a respectful way. And I'm very big, as you know, on dialogue. I'm very big on having a conversation and very big on understanding the other. So we're working hard to have to continue to have conversations and dialogues with multiple communities about this and to lay out uh, very aggressive strategies around training, I hate the word training, educational programs to address these issues and to create a sense of openness and transparency about this and when these incidents occur uh, to make sure people understand that we will address these incidents as clearly and as transparently as possible because that's part of being an inclusive and equitable university. I know you basically had a public dialogue with the students at the meeting on Monday, kind of setting aside your regular remarks. Was that kind of a spur-of-the-minute decision, or had you 
kind of committed to doing that? Well, they rarely let me do anything spur of the moment, but I can tell you it was clearly uh, my observation in this job. You always got to be, you have to be thinking about what is the best way to approach a really controversial issue like this. And it was more important from my perspective for the students to have a chance to voice their opinions. And I don't agree with every aspect of their opinion and the way that they frame this issue. But I wanted to make sure that the issue of power dynamics and them not having a chance to voice their perspective in a public forum was taken off the table. And so that's why I decided uh, before the meeting started that we really uh, should dis- uh, kind of dis- not dis- dispense with my comments and really provide an opportunity for them to have a, a dialogue. Even though I had met with them in the morning, that same morning, and again shared uh, my concerns and uh, my perspective about the issue, I thought it was important for them to have a public voice and an opportunity to state their perspectives. As you know, some of them have said that you may have heard from the governor on this issue and some other folks to pressure you to send out the mass email. Is is that true in any way? No, that is that is not true, Julie. I mean, let's face it. You In a position like this, you hear from multiple constituencies when something like this happens. So my statements are my statements. And as a leader for 40-some years now in total, including a research leader, but for the last almost decade now in leading universities, I have to speak from my heart, from my value, from my perspectives of each and every situation that occurs on campus. And it has to be my sincere and authentic voice. And that's what happened in this case. Okay. We've talked a lot about sexual harassment over the last year. What are your next steps um, following the release of this committee report, uh, the faculty committee report, and, you know, specifically things like more staffing, some other changes that might be feasible sooner rather than later? Well, again, this is a situation, again, where I think dialogue and conversation and bringing faculty together has proven to, uh, once again, uh, be the best course of action. As you've heard me say more than once, uh, our ability to convene people, bring people together, is one of the things that the university does extremely well. And most universities of our ilk are able to do that. And the fact that more than a year ago, when the uh, earlier incidents were reported, and even before the first incident, I'd recognized that we needed more staffing and the investigatory uh, part of the uh, office at that time. We've added new staff twice. We've even spent additional resources to bring in outside counsel to help with the investigation. So it's all part of our comprehensive approach to dealing with this issue. How do you make sure that you're appropriately staffed? How do you make sure that you have the resources to deal with these things in a very transparent and rapid way? How do you have the policies that really, and the practices, and build the practices that really show that we're absolutely committed uh, to changing the culture. You change the culture by creating a climate of intolerance, and that's what we are trying to do. The committee that we, uh, uh, that Provost Kangalaris appointed, uh, led by Rob Carr, and these 14 people did an amazing job of coming up with about 64 critically important recommendations that allows us to really move this agenda ahead. And then yesterday, as you're aware, we had a conversation on campus, ironically, that was not in response to these two 
the committee's report or the committee's charge, but it happened the day after where we brought people in from around the country uh, to have a conversation with some of our administrators about how do you move from a climate of compliance to a climate of bravery. And I thought it was, uh, uh, I was able to participate in the welcoming and welcome everybody to campus. And I've talked to several people that were there all day. And again, I think it was an important, critical conversation and dialogue that is part of what we're focusing on now is how do you move forward with finding solutions and transforming our culture around this critically important issue. Do you think the recommendations will do enough to stop the problem that's been written about uh, of faculty members sort of bouncing from school to school without people knowing about their past sexual harassment? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure if anything, any institution or any entity can do will completely stop anything in today's society. But I can tell you it was in a very powerful statement uh, about if you want to be a part of this university, there will be great transparency. You can't bounce from one university to the next. And we've kind of had that principle anyway because we always inquire. But, you know, people are not always forthcoming about what has happened for obvious reasons. Some of the reasons may be legal in nature. But we certainly hope that in total the set of recommendations, more transparency, more uh, clarity about these issues and clarity about you know, what are the consequences for this kind of behavior, including uh, making it clear that we're not going to be party to you bouncing from this university and not expect that your behavior here is not going to follow you as far as we're concerned. Do you like the idea of that pilot project they suggested to have new employees have to sign a waiver over I think their it's, I think it's a good way to start. I think it's a very fine way to start, and I, I, I can tell you I agree uh, with the 64 recommendations as a very, very positive step. And what I'm greatly impressed by is we had 14 people that came together from different perspectives on this issue. And they didn't, fin when they, they didn't finish that work. The, for them, the work was not completed until they came to consensus across all 64 of those recommendations, which I tell you is I'm very gratified with the work that our faculty and Rob Carr and others have done with this critically important topic. You mentioned that you were already looking at staffing issues uh, in this area before before this issue kind of erupted last fall, I guess, or a year ago. Um, mm -hmm. What what prompted you to look at that? What what, what problems did you see? It, in it was the, doing an analysis of the process and the fact that it was taking uh, quite a bit of time to uh, get the investigations done. And, you know, having been around this work for better part of almost two decades now, uh, being involved with the office that was responsible for this work in Minnesota, creating the first office and around uh, Title IX issues at the University at Albany, hiring the first Title IX officer as my first hire when I came here to Urbana-Champaign, I knew that there had to be, uh, had, I needed to better understand why it was taking so long. And we know each one of these cases uh, is different, but at the end of the day, you know, there should be some expectations of a reasonable timeline to get the investigation done, make a decision of whether there's been a violation of code of conduct or policy in any way, and then so you can move toward resolving the issue. And so it was very clear to me that it was taking a bit too long, and it became clear that 
we had uh, very talented people, but there just was insufficient uh, staff and budget in order to make this uh, as effective as it needed to be in terms of the timeline piece. Because some investigations were taking over a year, right? Yes. Were there any in particular that, you know, you were not happy about? <laughs> uh, not in particular. It was just if you look at the all of the investigations in total, it just appeared to me that the timeline was just taking too long. It wasn't any particular single case uh, that caused me great concern. It was then kind of the whole corpus of the investigations and looking at each one individually and reflecting back on the timeline from the time that it started to the time that it was resolved uh, or, or finished. It was clear that we needed to step up our game and um, and get these things done in a much more t timely fashion. The campus took the unusual step in one case, the uh, Officer Tyson case, uh, uh, to actually kind of join the complaint, um, to f join in filing a complaint. Was that your decision? or It wasn't my decision, but, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, talented staff. I think if you recall, Dr. Rusty Barslow was a visiting um, uh, uh, administrator, for lack of a better title. Uh, we brought Rusty in to help us figure out how do we structure this Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusivity in a much more thoughtful way. Rusty, as I said, is an expert on uh, this kind of issue. And uh, it was very, very clear that there were a number of accusations out there, but, you know, that was uh, not as many reports that had been filed as there were accusations, and we wanted to do our part to make sure people understood that we cared greatly about these issues. And uh, that was where the, the notion of us kind of stepping out of the traditional role and doing something different became critically important. Um, do you anticipate continuing to use outside counsel in that office now that you've increased staffing? Will that continue for a while? It probably will. It depends because, you know, hopefully what will result is that, um, I mean, this is all about, this is all designed to bring, bring about change. And uh, over time, we certainly hope that it will fundamentally uh, send a very strong message that this type of behavior will not be tolerated uh, at this university. And, of course, we have an obligation on the compliance piece, but I think over time, as we roll out each and every one of these recommendations over the next, uh, uh, during the implementation phase, hopefully it will send a very strong message that, you know, that the behavior will start to diminish, if not virtually disappear from this university. And so as it relates to this particular issue, uh, uh, we hope that we won't need to continue to maintain outside counsel, but this is just one among many issues. As you know, the Office for Access and Equity has to have responsibility for reviewing. Um, so it depends. We just have to wait and see. Uh, whether we have to continue to spend money an outside counsel or not is not the fundamental question for me. The fundamental question is making sure that we're doing things in a timely fashion and that we have a great sense of urgency about getting these issues investigated and resolved. Do you think we'd be here... Um if not for the kind of uproar by the law students last year over the Jay Kaysen case, do you think this, you know, we'd be looking at this giant set of reforms uh, from this committee? Or, well, I, you know, it's it's a complex issue, but I can assure you, as I said, uh, some of the concern that uh, I brought to the table when I started here and that observed, 
that led to action of hiring more people made it very, very clear that we needed to do more. Uh, would it led to the committee and the great heightened? It's, it's difficult, if not impossible, for me to say. But to me, the most fundamental question is when these things happen as an institution, how do we respond? And that's the part that I think we need to focus on is the response piece and that hopefully we're creating a climate where people know that they can come forth with complaints. Those complaints will be taken seriously. They will be investigated in the most judicious way possible. And uh, as much transparency as we can bring to the process, we are more than happy to do that, to track it, to report out so that people know. That's all part of building the culture of of uh, not being tolerant of this kind of behavior. Okay. Friday night is the homecoming parade, and I understand the honor the chief folks are going to have an entry. Uh, do you know if the chief's going to make an appearance, and are you planning any special precautions to avoid the problems from 2017? Um, I don't know for a fact uh, that, uh, that the um, per chief and I impersonator is going to make an appearance or not. We know that there's a registration as for a homecoming parade. And as we do for every big public event, we take every precaution to make sure members of our community, those that participate in the parade or any other event, are kept as safe as possible. Um, so we'll, you know, I, I don't know what to say other than that. We'll just have to wait and see. Are you riding in the parade this year? Yeah, well, I'm uh, supposed <laughs> to be in a, in a car, they tell me, riding in a parade, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I do have multiple conflicts that evening, though, but we'll, we'll, see, what, we'll see what happens on, on, uh, on tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Yeah. It's, a, it's an important event for our community, but there's a lot going on, a lot of obligations, but at this juncture... You know, we plan on, on being there at the event, uh, the reception, and uh, being part of the, the festivities. So. You've you had conversations with that group or others about these chief appearances, right? I mean, you were trying to reach some kind of accommodation with them about appearing at games yeah. in the past. Have, have you had any those conversations lately? Because I think they've popped up still from time to time. We it's ongoing conversation uh, with uh, with folks that those that support the chief or other kinds of opportunities to display um, Native Americans in the context of uh, sporting events, and I think we've been very very clear about that in our uh, uh, American uh, Native American imagery, uh, both critical conversation and the commission report. So it's an ongoing conversation with multiple parties uh, about this issue, and we're working now very aggressively to work on the implementation of the recommendations that came from the commission. And so uh, we anticipate in the next month or two we will be publicly discussing those recommendation, recommendations and talking about what we're going to do in the short term and long term. Can you say anything about that now? I was going to ask you what the status was of some of those. Well, we're working on it, and I'd rather, you know, you were very familiar with what was in the, that set of recommendations, I think, and we are working now as an implementation team that's made up of people of my leadership team and some others from across the university to think about how do we take each of those recommendations and decide the short-term goals, the long-term goals, those, frankly, that may not be doable at this point or may not be doable at all. 
And so we're at the decision-making point here in the next month or two. Not everybody's going to be necessarily happy uh, with every one of those decisions, but I think it would be another investment, if you will, in moving this issue forward. Okay. Should I ask you whether that includes some kind of mascot or new tradition? Uh, could. It, uh, it, it, it definitely, I can say uh, definitely that is, is there's ongoing discussion about new traditions piece of it. The issue of whether there would be a mascot is still a work in progress. Okay. But definitely there's consensus that we need to figure out uh, new traditions moving forward. I know there's been a push from some chief supporters to still try to incorporate some kind of Native elements to Native American cultural elements to athletics in some way, either a halftime ceremony or something. And, you know, they point to other schools that they say have done this with the support of Native tribes. Is there any chance that would ever happen? I know some commission members had wanted to talk about that as well. Or is that just not going to happen here, do you think? It's not going to happen as far as I'm concerned because that is pretty much antithetical to what this whole conversation and dialogue has been about. I just think it's highly inappropriate for Native American imagery to be associated with our athletic event, uh, particularly when people have a tendency to refer to the Peoria tribe. And I think the Peoria tribe and Chief Harper spoke very clearly uh, in the past year or so about their perspective on that. That's a perspective that I truly support and honor. And what we're focusing on is the fundamental issue of how do you truly honor Native American heritage and culture. So that's what the commission is working on. How do we demonstrate? And notwithstanding the rhetoric that you've heard out there, it's not our desire to remove any Native American images from the university. It's about how do you appropriately honor Native American heritage and culture. And if anything, it's going to be just the opposite. We hope that it's going to result in more positive, supportive, and educational perspectives about Native people in multiple places across the campus without a focus just on uh, sporting events, I should say. Beyond all of this, uh, there have been some, uh, a lot of state funding appropriated this year for construction projects here on campus. Mm -hmm. Do you know uh, which projects, I guess, will be the first to be funded from that money? It's been a little vague um, where that where that's all going. I know Illini Hall is supposed to get some of it. And Illini Hall is one of the top priorities that we've articulated for our uh, capital funding. Uh, Altgeld Hall, of course, is critically important as well. So we're still trying to figure that piece out in terms of our capital planning process, which will be the the initial projects and try to map this out over the next five years of how we will strategically spend that $395 million. Quite a bit of it uh, are, uh, will be spent on uh, deferred maintenance issues. We know we have almost a billion dollars worth of deferred maintenance. And so we will use part of that funding to address some health and safety issues that fall under our deferred maintenance category as well. What are some of your other priorities for this year beyond the things we've dealt with so far? Well, <clears throat> some of the other priorities are to really uh, kind of move forward uh, with helping the Office for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion that we established and just hired uh, Sean Garrett to help uh, that office uh, kind of uh, get stood up and situated as the 
go-to place for these issues that Sean's voice and engagement become infused across the university, both for faculty, staff, and students. Uh, we have some strategic goals in mind for how do we really move forward um, to the next level of excellence is how do we expand on the amazing Carl Illinois College of Medicine as a catalyst for us really filling a gap in the niche of the strategic vision and impact for this university by positioning us in the next 10, 15, 50, 150 years to be a leader and finding cures for diseases and uh, to create uh, medical uh, eco, a biomedical ecosystem that's going to put this university and this community on the map. That is part of our strategic thinking at the moment. And tied to that is, as you know, we have this Chancellor's Economic Development Commission that we pull together that's doing amazing work. And we have people that have shown up consistently over the last year from primarily the business sector, but from Parkland Community College, from the different chambers of economic development to business leaders, Carl, OSF officials uh, have shown up to participate in this dialogue. And we've identified a few areas of focus with ag tech being one, health, uh, biomedical research and innovation, uh, corridor kind of being another concept. So that's uh, another top priority. And then, for, frankly, making sure that we have the resources to hire the best and brightest faculty and to be able to reward those faculty for the amazing excellence that they bring to the table. And then uh, lastly, there's a very long list, but lastly, how do, we, how do we continue to make education accessible and affordable? Those are things that are absolutely critical to us. I'm very, very proud of what we did with the Illinois Commitment, and that has had profound impact upon folks from medium income of 61000 or less. We have to think about how do we sustain that. But we also have to do, we're doing quite a bit now, but we have to do more for middle-income families because making 125 or, or even 150000 is not what it used to be. And if you have more than one child in college, then you're facing the same financial challenge as someone in terms of affording to support your child in education as someone making 61000 or less. And so those are just a, a few of the things that we have on our table. And really, if you look at our strategic plan, it's about how do we implement every one of those core areas in our strategic plan, which we so boldly call the next 150. Can I ask, are you thinking about another Illinois commitment type program for higher incomes or maybe one that addresses housing costs, <laughs> which are also really high? We have the number one priority in our capital campaign or our comprehensive campaign to raise $2.25 billion. The number one item in that is to raise money to help support education, scholarships, financial aid is the number one uh, priority. Second priority, as I said, is to be able to recruit, retain, and support the best scholars and best uh, researchers and scholars in the world. And so we're not exactly sure what that's going to look like. As I said, we're already doing that in part, but we are, haven't resolved if we're going to have a a uh, Illinois commitment to or or three as a, uh, a specific strategy, but I can tell you is one of the things 
that we know fundamentally that we must address in the months and the years ahead, and we're committed to do so. Okay. Well, I think that covers our list, so thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. My great pleasure.